Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Working Tools Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Chambers of Reflection. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our opinions and thoughts are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions, either here on YouTube or on our Facebook page. We'd also appreciate a thumbs up and especially any comments on our videos. Good evening. I'm David Colbeth. I'm a Master Mason in Washington State. I'm joined by our co-host, Steve Chung, a Master Mason in British Columbia, and uh, Master Mason Zane McCune, our special guest tonight, almost a guest host. He's been on the show a few times, and uh, so we're joined by him. He's also a Master Mason in Washington State and the founder and creator of a Masonic Facebook group called The Masonic Experience. Welcome, Zane. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah. So tonight we're going to be talking about the Chambers of Reflection, Kind of a neat topic. I know uh, Zane has some uh, specific experience in that. Their lodge, Verity Lodge in Kent, Washington, does uh, has that uh, feature in their initiatic experience. And uh, there's several lodges that do. And so, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a presentation, so to speak, on the idea. So if you want to kind of jump into it, we can ask questions. And what, what, what is a chamber reflection, I guess? Maybe that's a better question to start with. Yeah, well, and it's a good question because uh, I, I actually get that question quite a bit. I'm a a, um, one of the instructors at the Lodge Leadership Retreat, and uh, that's a Washington State annual event for the up-and-coming officers of, of lodges all around. And uh, in our breakout sessions, that topic comes up, and there really is a um, not a lot of information out there, and there's a lot of inquisitive Masons, and so I think there's a little bit of a gap. So I'm really glad that you guys chose this topic for one of your segments, I think it was a great idea. Um, well, basically, what what it is uh, is a room separate from. Well, let me actually tell you what it isn't first. It isn't part of standard work ritual. All right, it's probably easier to start with what it isn't. It is not an innovation within uh, ritual work. Uh, there's no ritual work that takes place during it. Um, it doesn't happen at any time during the uh, you know, um, entered apprentice degree or anything. So I just want to get that out of the way. What is it, it, what it, is it what only it during is? the apprentice? Is it only an apprentice degree thing? No, or it actually lodges. Um, in our lodge, we just do it right before the entered apprentice degree. I know of lodges that will conduct theirs in between each of the uh, three degrees. Um, and uh, so I've, I've seen both happen. Okay. Uh, for us, our interpretation of it is and we'll get into it in just a little bit, it's more appropriately used prior to the EA degree. Yeah. And for us, it's a separate room off the preparation room, specifically designed for, for that use. Um, is this done at every lodge in your jurisdiction? No, I would say this is probably done at uh, a small handful. I would, my guess is probably three, Listen. four or five lodges right now are probably, probably do probably do this. Yeah, 
I was going to say about less than 5% probably. Yeah. Um, the, the question that I actually, it comes up, is it a modern innovation? Is it just some, you know, a bunch of, you know, neat symbols that Masons in the 20th century have said, hey, let's do something like this. And uh, uh, definitely it, that's not the case. Um, a strong argument can be made that this was actually something that several hundred years ago was done, was probably lost a little over time, um, no longer conducted, and then now there's a handful of lodges that are sort of rediscovering things like this. Um, probably one of the reasons that um, it uh, uh, is not well known is that uh, um, it's just it's lost. It's been kind of lost over the time from 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 usage, and so. Uh, so it was more commonplace to be done um, in years gone by. That's my interpretation, although I can't I can't say that for absolute sure. It what does, I think we can infer is that it's not an innovation within the, you know, late twentieth century. It does seem to be that what I read too was that it was mostly the French and Scottish rites that formalized this as something for their initiatic experience. And the, there was actually something else I read about it that was saying it was, uh, yeah, the, the, mostly the French. There's other rites, of course, many, many other rites or rituals, depending on how you consider what that word means. But uh, but the Scottish rite specifically, there's that involved in yeah. terms of reflection as part yeah. of that program. Yeah, we do that in our Scottish rite valley. We right. I, I've never seen or heard of a, a lodge using it uh, using, or, uh, I don't know whether you call it portrayal or using a room of reflection. Uh, I know when I went to Cuba, it was, uh, it was quite the prominent thing. Uh, and every lodge in Cuba uses the uh, room of reflection. Well, every lodge will prepare their candidate in some way before their first degree. You know, some lodges may have them come down and they have this big dinner and maybe there's a lot of just uh you know fraternalism going on and then off to the degree they go um there may be some lodges that you know just start their degree right when they open and the candidate uh you know might show up early while everyone's setting up and they say hey, did i did i get here at the right time i mean unless you you either are managing the time before your EA degree or you are not managing your time before the EA degree. But either way, a candidate is going to have some kind of an experience prior to the start of your degree. So in our lodge, what we've chosen to do is, is have that candidate uh, spend some time in solitude. And um, you can go back through the mystery schools and there is in almost every case a period of time where that new initiate is going to uh, spend some time in solitude. That was part of the, that was part of the process. I um, mean, you know, for us, it's, uh, you know, 15 minutes, but um, in antiquity, you could argue that was, you know, quite a bit longer days, if you will. Yeah, something, something I hadn't, read before in Mackey, he mentions that a man who has undertaken a thing after mature reflection seldom turns back. And I thought, whoa, that's heavy. Yeah. As so a matter, yeah, there's actually, um, uh, uh, Aristotle uh, has a quote too. I have a few quotes on uh, solitude. Yeah. Whosoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or a God. That was from Aristotle. <laughs> 
Um, probably a little more contemporary though. Um, the best thinking has been done in solitude. Yeah. That's from Thomas Edison. And uh, uh, Picasso said, without great solitude, no serious work is possible. So I think a special thing happens when a man is in solitude and he has time to reflect upon his own thoughts. And that is a primary goal of the chamber of reflection is a time of solitude. And so do you give uh, the candidates any particular instruction uh, before they go into this room of reflection? Um, yes, a, a little bit. Um, not a whole lot. What we do is we provide them some parchment and a pen and we ask them to uh, um, write down what their Masonic goals are and have them uh, reflect upon that for a little while. Um, I've seen other interpretations of what they want those candidates to write. And so when we sat down as a lodge, we talked about what is it that we want our candidates to focus on. And, and that was uh, um, what their, why they're taking this step and what their goals in, in uh, Freemasonry are. And within that um, uh, chamber of reflection, there are certain visuals uh, that they see and they're not told what they mean. Um, intentionally, they're not told what they mean, uh, and it's for them to interpret it in their, you know, in their own way. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe um, uh, we can pull up that picture now to show them what uh, Zane's referring to. Yeah, sure. If you want to pull up that uh, one of the illustrations of what a of what a chamber of reflection might look like. Okay, we should have it on the screen now. Yeah, um, and we, you know. Uh, Probably one of the centerpieces is, uh, is the skull. Um, that is a replica. It's, it's a, a, a very good replica. Um, there's an hourglass, there's salt, there's a uh, tarot card of the fool. Um, harder to see in the detail there, but there are some um, uh, symbols for air, water, fire, and earth and then uh, parchment in there with a pen for, for some notation. There's also a mirror. Uh, there's also some, something about looking at yourself in a mirror in solitude where you're, um, you know, you're just spending time with yourself and you're thinking, you're thinking your own thoughts that you know, only you hear inside your head and, and uh, it's a real um, interesting moment and experience to go through. Uh, so, Maybe. Yeah, it was, it was when we did the uh, fourth degree in the Scottish Rite, when I joined the Scottish Rite, we did the Room of Reflection, and it was, uh, we had the instruction of some of the things that we were to think about and consider while we were in that room, um, and then we were to make our notes, and they were shared um, later, um, but I thought that process was quite interesting. So I think uh, it's important to, so a lot of lodges will ask, well, we're interested in doing something like this. Can you, you know, and they'll, they'll kind of wing it. And I think that's kind of a dangerous approach because uh, they, they want to get, they want to do it and they kind of get caught up in the, the wow factor of it, if you will. And there is certainly something special about a chamber of reflection. However, there's intent behind everything that's that's on that screen and it's important for the lodge or the master of ceremonies or 
or you know the group that's conducting the the degree to understand why those are on there. It's not just to create a a, a spooky illusion. Um, it's not let's go down to the Halloween store and buy all the you know freaky things that you can put onto a table and and um, and that's our chamber reflection. Um, everything on there is is done with uh, with intent and with purpose. And and frankly, a lot of it is related to just uh, alchemy and the alchemical uh, uh, importance uh, to the alchemical process. And that's why those things are on that, on that table. Um, the other thing that the chamber reflection represents just uh, before the initiation, and this is why our lodge does it only before the initiation is um, that uh, prior to the entrance into a lodge of masons, we tell the candidate that he stands in darkness. And uh, it's before that uh, first step into a lodge of masons is where he comes from and he chooses to, to step out of the darkness and into the light. So for us, symbolically, that chamber reflection is that state of darkness that, he, that, he is, uh, that he's in. That's cool. And there's other, other uh, uh, chamber uh, images that you have right there, Dave, to share with us. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to break down every single one of them. A lot. So some of them are for the, um, so, it's a, so it's a good question. Um, during the alchemical process, um, the idea is you take a substance, you break it down into its individual components, and then you reconstruct the the new uh, the new uh, elixir or the new the newness from those individual components uh, from those individual pieces. And that's kind of the idea: is that uh, there's uh, salt, there's reputations of salt and sulfur, which are two important uh, chemicals in the alchemical process that get broken out of a substance. And so those are represented on the table. Um, there's lots of interpretation behind the skull. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why uh, some people interpret this as being either too scary or too spooky as you've got this skull and skulls have no place in masonry. That's probably a whole other topic in and of itself right there is <laughs> our skulls, do skulls belong in Freemasonry? <laughs> so, um, from our perspective, yes, they do. They've been part of Freemasonry for a very long time. Um, we, perhaps we choose to ignore it or don't talk about mortality, um, but certainly there's the side right there. Uh, there's an hourglass to represent the time that we have to labor. Um, and uh, so those are, those, are some of the, the, so those are some of the things that are on the table. In our lodge, we use also the elements of, uh, of water, fire, earth, and air. And certainly as you go through the three degrees, there's allusion to the importance of each of those in, in each of our degrees. So some of this is foreshadowing more to come in the three steps, the three degrees of initiation. Interesting that you don't have a scythe in your display, is that, or is it just hidden in this picture? No, um, it's not. It's not in this picture. And at the time too, we didn't have uh, uh, our uh, rooster. The cockerel is not in that picture as well. Right. 
So I was just like the term worshipful. I had an issue with that in the very beginning. And I've told in the past, my story about how I overcame that. And it's a common, commonplace actually in, in British language. And uh, my, my friend that went to work in Canada and she had to call the mayor her, your worship. And so it easily got over my idea of using the word worshipful, that same idea of the, the skeleton or the skull and crossbones or those kind of images. Like you said, people think that they're, you know, supposed to be just scary or whatever. And it is truly an image of mortality and that we are only here for a time. And what do we do with that time while we're here? I think that's a central theme to uh, being, a, uh, being a laborer, Masonic labor is, is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly, uh, you know, for those who are, are, are looking for reference uh, back to, you know, is this innovation or not, Preston, uh, had a quote to uh, William wisdom seeks the secret shade, the lonely cell designed for contemplation. Uh, that's Preston. Uh, you can, uh, what is he alluding to in that sentence? I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for your uh, own contemplation. <laughs> the, there's another, uh, there's another uh, element that's in the that's in a chamber of reflection, and that's uh, inscribed either on the wall or on a plank or something in there um, is the uh, acronym vitriol. And I don't know if you've got that other. Uh, I did share that other photo. Uh, we could go back to that. Let's see here. That was the. Let me share that one again. Here we go. Yeah, so you can see that that vitriol in the background. Uh, vitriol is actually a uh, uh, is an acronym. Um, in in Latin, it's uh, visita interiora terra rectificando in venis occultum lapidem, and roughly what that translates into is visit the interior of the earth through rectification. You shall find the hidden stone. Now, the candidate who's sitting in the Chamber of Reflection is not going to know that at the time. Again, a lot of this is allusion to something that he may learn later on in, uh, in his Masonic journey. But we've interviewed every one of our candidates that have gone through the Chamber of Reflection during our, our agape period after the degree. And every single one of them has said how profound of an experience that was. It completely heightened their their sensation of what was about to come. And so that transition from the chamber of reflection into the initiation room is also something that needs to be carefully managed. And if you get the wrong person back there starting to crack jokes and helping them, you know, get ready and all that, all, all that work that the law just did for the 20 minutes that that candidate was in the, in the chamber of reflection uh, kind of vaporizes like that when, when the, concentration and the focus gets disrupted. I noticed in this photo, there's a loaf of bread there or a section of bread and it talks in some, some I've read that uh, bread is symbolic of the, the raw to the cooked and then water represents fertility. Is that, yeah, gonna... there's, you know, it's like a lot of things in masonry. Um, uh, it's like you keep peeling, peeling back the layer upon the layer on the layer. Uh, there's usually some kind of uh, exo explanation and then there's an esoteric explanation for, for a lot of these things. For the, 
what's worth talking about in, in, uh, within the lodge is the esoteric reason that these things are, are, are on the table. I don't think I had a, a graphic to flash, um, but we're alluding to a lot of uh, uh, alchemical steps. There's a whole nother, um, I'm not a practicing alchemist, um, and there are lots of free, there are some Freemasons who are, um, and can speak more eloquently to the, to the alchemical process. Um, but I'll just say that in general, alchemists have alchemical plates that they use to describe what's happening in the process. And I thought I sent you a, uh, did I send you another graphic with a disc on it? It was, check. I don't think so, but let me double okay. check. Might've been the first graphic I sent you. If not, that's okay. Sorry, it's going to take me a second. That's okay. The point of it is uh, uh, alchemists have plates to describe their alchemical process. And you think, well, that's interesting. That What does that have to do with Freemasonry? Uh, and most Freemasons will um, look at a Masonic tracing board and it will not make any sense to anybody else who's never been through a Masonic degree. But a, a Freemason will look at the Masonic tracing board and go, I, you know, I can tell you exactly what's happening. It's this whole story of the degree all packed into the, uh, all, all packed into that one um, picture. And so I guess I would draw the parallel <clears throat> between um, the alchemical plates that uh, alchemists have and uh, tracing board that uh, Freemasons use to describe the symbolism that's packed within that degree. Just about there and share. All right, should have that image up on the screen now. Yep, so there's another version of the um, vitriol, uh, circumscribing the, uh, the circle. Um, there's the uh, uh, lots going in here to unpack. Uh, and just like a Masonic tracing board, an, alchem an, uh, an alchemist would look at this and be able to describe each of those symbols within the, the, um, within the plate there. Yeah, a lot of symbolism in that one little image. There's the, um, there's the, there's the earth, um, uh, the terra, there's the sky, um, there's, uh, salt, sulfur, um, there's, uh, probably more packed into here that could be a whole show of an explanation, but a little outside of the scope of the discussion. Point being though that you could flash a Masonic tracing board onto the screen and we would all look at it and we could spend the next 30 minutes talking about all the symbols that were on there. And somebody who had no idea what a Masonic uh, tracing board was, wouldn't have a clue. Right, and so this, this alchemist plate, if you will, uh, is 
related to chamber reflection because of the elements that are part of the chamber reflection, more right. specifically salt and sulfur and things like that, that combine into other elements. Right. You've got, um, um, you can see up there, there's the red uh, circle with the arrow. That's uh, Mars that alludes to iron. Um, below that is Saturn representing um, the uh, metal lead up in the top right corner, that green, um, green, Circle is uh, uh, Venus, and a symbol for Venus that represents copper, and below that is Jupiter, and that represents tin. Um, there's, uh, uh, like I mentioned, there's the Earth, and then the heavens. Those are down there in the in the bottom half, next to the sulfur and the salt that are just above those. Um, you'll notice there's Mercury right in the middle. There's that uh, circular with the half moon shape on top. Okay. So very interesting. Um, and this is, there's hundreds, if not thousands of alchemical plates that we could, you know, flash and, and look at and talk about. And 99% um, <laughs> of them would be outside of the scope of like what I know. But, um, yeah. but the important point is that there's a parallel between what those plates represent to alchemists and what, uh, tracing boards represent to Freemasons. Yeah. That's kind of the takeaway. I was, I was reading too that Mont Montague said that, you know, the purpose of it is not to fill up a vase, but to light a fire. And I think that's such an important direct connection with Masonry is it's not to just come and absorb what you hear or what you see and just say, okay, I'm going to fill up my cup. Well, that's important to, to have a feeling of fulfillment, but it really, to light a fire under you to go and explore and to learn. And, and, uh, as we always say, masonry is what you make it. Yeah. The alchemical process is a little bit like, uh, like distillation, uh, right. You can kind of think of, um, uh, you can think of, think of the example using heated crude oil, right. And they take crude oil and through that, essentially through that distillation process, separate the one, type of uh, uh, thing going in into, you know, multiple things of uh, fuel for cars and aircraft fuel and, um, uh, you know, fuel for ships and all sorts of different things and layers in between. So that distillation process, uh, um, you know, takes one thing and turns it into another. And I guess if you were to kind of find the, the, similarity from al alchemy to Freemasonry. It's we take the raw material, the man, we, we break him down and then we take these pieces and we reconstruct him into a better version of himself. And that's a lot of um, what uh, vitriol kind of stands for is uh, to look, to look within and you'll find these pieces and through this reconstruction um, will, will emerge a, You'll find the hidden stone. That hidden stone is is within you. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. I uh, had not heard much explanation about the uh, chamber of reflection, uh, with the exception of going into Scottish Rite. And then, of course, you know, you're so busy doing degree work that you're never a part of the chamber of reflection, so you forget all about it again. And yeah. uh, so this was uh, uh, quite nice to have you come on and, and talk about that. Now, is there anything else about the chamber of reflection that any myths or anything like that that you want to disband? 
any uh, any any what myths myths oh. or misconceptions or misconceptions you know it's oftentimes that's that comes from not really understanding it and so if you look at it and you don't know anything about it it looks spooky it looks like you're trying to maybe scare a candidate it looks um uh you can't you can't find it in the standard work and it's like well what is this as an innovation and so that's where a lot of those things just come from is a lot of misunderstanding so um, you know the fact that you're even doing the show is an opportunity to shed just a little bit of light on the topic um but the you know the misconception probably the big one is that there's no uh connection to freemasonry that really um you know that it has no place within the masonic uh, institution and to some extent um i think i would answer that question with it's not taking place during uh, any masonic degree our candidates spend time in the chamber of reflection prior to the beginning of the degree and i'd ask your lodge how do your candidates spend time before the degree are they hanging out in the dining room chit-chatting with brothers are they um uh, not sure what time to clearly come and they're rushing to get to the lodge are this the lodge kind of cracking jokes, you know, um, you still hear about lodges cracking jokes about the goat uh, and borderline on hazing. So there's lots of different pathways that a candidate can spend time before they walk in through that door and meet the senior deacon who receives them for his first time into a lodge of masons. So the question I would ask a, a uh, you know, a lodge is, you know, do you want to conduct that intentionally, or are you going to let let it happen haphazardly? Absolutely. I, th I think just as we as masons have a ritual that we perform to begin our meetings and to end our meetings, mostly the beginning. One of the ideas of that is that we're packaging ourselves or making ourselves ready to be available for teaching and for understanding and for learning. It's to, it's to pause the outside world and to prepare ourselves for what's about to become. And the, a candidate should have that opportunity as well. Like you said, he may be rushing from work, rushing from home or where he's coming from. And then, and then if he's thrust into this degree without time to kind of slow down and prepare himself. And of course we have, you know, there's, there's parts of our ritual that do some of that but to be able to have a time to pause. And even if it's not a full chamber of reflection, as you said, it can go crazy really fast. So be careful <laughs> uh, how you do it. But even if there's an opportunity for him to pause and just sit by himself and think about what he's about to embark upon is a very important step. Sure. If, if nothing else, we've discovered, and I think can agree on that a time in solitude is an important thing. No one disagrees with that. Um, you know, interestingly, there's a, there's a few more things on, uh, you know, for those that don't really know the alchemical process, I'll, I'll just uh, let me offer a few steps, um, and you would call this the, the first stage in the alchemical process, and it might go something like this. Um, the very first thing that the, that the alchemist will do is, is offer a prayer to deity. Um, they then collect the herb by its root, in order to obtain the essence of the plant. And they careful, they are careful not to let that herb come into contact with metal, which they would interpret to contaminate it. Uh, they then dry out the herb and then grind it using a mortar and pestle. 
Um, they then place the ground herb into a vessel and they fill it with a spirit, which they call low at, at low watermark. And this is meant to purify the herb. All right. They then place that vessel uh, with the spirit at low watermark into a sand bath. Um, and the reason they do that is it heats the uh, solution evenly, right? So they do that using a crucible and then they remove it twice per day and they shake it vigorously. <laughs> at this stage, the herb is then digested uh, and the oil starts to separate out. And then at the completion of that stage, um, the, the herb is considered dead. It's the death of the herb and it's referred to as the kaput mortem or the deadhead. So that's kind of the first stage of, of the alchemical process, if you will. And I think, you know, if you're a Freemason, you're watching the show, there are certain signposts along those, uh, you know, eight steps or so that should probably resonate with uh, things that we learn within the EA degree that have been there the whole time and maybe take on a different perspective when you realize that um, there's another layer that can be peeled back and, and considered and examined. Well, absolutely. And if, if for some reason you're not a Freemason and you're listening to the show or watching the show and you'd like to learn more about it, of course, contact your local lodge or Grand Lodge. Uh, and if for some reason that lodge isn't responsive, don't let that be disheartened. You know, reach out to the next lodge and the next lodge. There'll be somebody there to assist you and to help you along the way. And uh, again, we want to say thanks so much to Zay McCune for coming out tonight and being part of the show on Chambers of Reflection and a little alchemy in there as well. And always fun to kind of mix things up. Pun sure. Happy to be on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, we'd uh, encourage you to subscribe to the show and to also check out the Masonic Experience on Facebook. It's a private group, so you have to be a master Mason, I would assume, to be part of that group. Is that right, Jane? Right. Uh, Mason. Oh, a Mason. Okay, not a master Mason, but a Mason. Uh, so if you're interested in that and want to learn more, check out the Masonic Experience as well as our Facebook page on the Working Tools. Again, thanks for, well, for joining us this evening. Uh, we'll see you on the next show.